Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children in Portland, Oregon. I'm Janet Christofaro. After over 30 years of listening to the stories of grieving children, teens, young adults, and the adults in our grief support groups, we wanted to share what we've learned from them with the larger community. This podcast is a way to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us don't know how to feel, what to do, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we're here to talk about what matters to most, the most to you in grief. Today's episode is the final in a three-part series that we've been doing, where we've been talking with people about what it's like to grieve when the relationship you had with the person who died was difficult, complex, conflicted, or challenging in some way. This topic came to us from a listener, so thank you for sending us the idea. And if any of you have ideas for future podcasts or topics you'd like to hear us talk about, please send us an email at help at Dougie.org. Over the course of this three-part series, I've talked with Jenny, who was grieving the loss of her ex-husband. They had recently divorced before he died. And then I spoke with Ashley, who had a conflicted and challenging relationship with her brother, one that was just starting to reach a new level of connection before he died suddenly. And today, I'm joined by Diana Spartus. Hi, Diana. Hi, Diana. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for um, me. You've been a volunteer here for the last, we were just trying to figure it out, five or six years, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And um, I asked you to be part of the show because I know you had a pretty unique relationship um, with the people in your life who have died. So could you tell us just a little bit about your story? Yeah, uh, the first death, uh, significant death in my life uh, came when I was 14. Uh, My mother died of brain cancer. Um, And I had been living with my mom uh, as a single mom my whole life. Uh, My parents divorced when I was a toddler. Um, and I had, was very, very close with my mother, um, and would visit my father on the weekends and my parents were friendly. Um, but after my mom's death, uh, my father moved into the house that I had lived with, lived in with my mom. Um, so this is a man you hadn't lived with had basically lived your whole yeah. childhood. Yeah. we were weekends and he was, um, Great at being a fun weekend, uh, dad. weekend dad, but not not so not uh, experienced at being a parent so much. Um, he was a good buddy. He was a good buddy, and so he moved into the house that um, my mom and I had lived in together, um, and he struggled a lot, um, as did I. Uh, but he was an alcoholic, um, and after a number of years, I found that I had to break contact with him to feel safe myself. Um, he was never physically abusive, but uh, it was very traumatic, and I suppose I could call him emotionally abusive, though that I struggle with uh, labeling it that. Um, 
but not a relationship that was supportive, no, nurturing not at for all. you. Not at all. Um, and so when I was 20, I uh, broke contact with him and didn't speak to him again um, until I found out when I was 27 that he had died of a seizure related to his alcoholism. So for seven years, no contact at all with your dad? No contact with him, nor uh, really with any of his family. And how did you get the news that he died when you were 27? I was through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. I was about halfway through. Um, And for our listeners who aren't familiar with the PCT, it's the trail made famous now by Cheryl Strayed's book, Wild. Yeah. Uh, Runs from Mexico to Canada. Mm -hmm. And you were about halfway through? I was about halfway through in Northern California, just a little south of Mount Shasta. Um, And I don't remember how, but somehow I found out that both of my grandmothers were trying to get a hold of me. And my father's mother I had had very little contact with over the previous seven years. Called her from a payphone at a state park, and she told me what had happened. What do you remember experiencing in that moment of getting that phone call from at a payphone in the middle of the wilderness? (laughs) Right in the the immediate moment, I remember feeling very sad and... um, I remember then calling my other grandmother who had been trying to get a hold of me, and she had not been a fan of my father, um, and she was very insensitive, just as part of her nature. She wasn't a mean person, but not a warm person either. Um, this is your mom's mom? My mom's mom, yeah. She, she wasn't gentle about it, and she um, spoke harshly about him, and I remember uh, being angry at her, uh, thinking, like, yeah, he was a jerk, but like I'm a grieving child right now, and even if he's a jerk, I can feel sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so felt frustrated with her, for sure. And so what did you do next? Oh, um, so I had been hiking for a while with a friend I made on the trail <clears throat> named Tracy, and uh, she, I, I believe, had been waiting for me. We were about to set off again in, that morning. Um, and I remember going over and talking to her, telling her, Uh, sort of what happened, and I imagine since we'd been hiking together for a little while, uh, she'd heard stories of my family, uh, so knew the uh, complicated relationship I had with my dad. And I remember being worried about that, uh, telling her that I I, I didn't know what her reaction was going to be, but I, I, I didn't want her to freak out. And she handled it really perfectly and expressed caring for me and also just gave me space. So you found that to be helpful in the moment. Yeah. And were you worried that her reaction, the freak out reaction, would be because you were talking about the fact that someone had died or because she knew the nature of the relationship that you had or didn't have with your dad? You know, I can't remember. I wanted sympathy, but I also wanted it to not be a huge deal. Um, Sounds like something we hear from the teens all the time in yeah, our group. Like, totally. acknowledge my death, be okay about it, but don't, like, give me the sad eyes. Yeah, exactly. We hiked on, um, and I don't remember if it was at that park or later in the day, but I remember we were taking a break, and I was sitting on some rocks by a stream in the sun, and I remember for the first time in God, probably, like, 10 years or so, being able to remember the 
good things about my father because I had been felt so much trauma and so much need to protect myself, guarded around him that uh, I hadn't been able to be in touch with the things that I also loved about him. And like many of us, he had many different parts to him. And there were the parts that were really ugly. And then there were also the parts where he was the person who taught me to swim and played baseball with me and taught me to ride a bike. And we had, there were lots of really neat things about him. Um, and so some happy sort of formative memories of the things that anybody might do with their dad. Yeah, and I could, uh, I remember so strongly it coming to me that, remembering that I also loved him, that I was very hurt by him, but that I loved him and that there were wonderful things about him and wonderful things about our relationship. And you'd had to almost wall that off, it sounds like, while he was still alive. Completely, yeah. When I broke contact, I never uh, particularly thought that I would never speak to him ever again. Uh, But I knew that at that moment, uh, I couldn't conceive of a time where I felt emotionally safe having contact with him. And so my experience of him was... Uh, just dealing with trauma and trying to protect myself around that. So I hadn't, there was just no space for me to also love him in that way. So with his death, there was some freedom. There was. It was a huge, it felt like a huge relief. Not that he had died per se, but that uh, it opened up my experience of him. Almost Uh, like you could have a new or a different relationship with him, one that you couldn't have when he was alive. Completely, yeah. And how's that been for you? I hear so many people talking about you know, the relationship is a different situation than yours where maybe the relationship had been conflicted or distanced or cut off in some way and there was hope that there was going to be a reconciliation and then the person dies Mm -hmm. and there's that. But then there's also people talking about the guilt they have for having to have done that cutoff in the first place. How's that played out for you? I have all those things. Um, You have the full package reactions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm sad that I never got to have any kind of relationship, adult relationship with either of my parents, really. But I also still can't imagine a time when I would have felt safe uh, emotionally to have contact with him. Maybe because I can't imagine him coming to me and saying like, hey, I screwed up and I want to I want to make it right. I can't imagine that. Does that leave you with a little bit of peace around less about the what ifs, like I should have done more, I could have done more because you knew there really wasn't space for that to change? Yeah, I. while I feel sad that it wasn't different, I also feel confident that I did what I had to to protect myself. Yeah, I wish it had been different, but I, I feel like I did what I needed to do, yeah. Do you have a sense of how your mom's death when you were 14 informed the choices and the decisions you had to make with your dad? My mom and I were very, very, very close. When she died, it, you know, felt like my entire support system just vanished. Um, and like I said before, my dad was uh, a good buddy, but not, uh, not a great parent. And he really wasn't able to be there for me. And a lot of the other adults uh, that had been in my life in one way or another kind of disappeared as well. And I think... Um, Partly, he pushed some folks away just from his prickliness. Mm -hmm. Um, So it left me really needing 
support that I didn't have with him and that um, and I, I imagine that he was struggling quite a bit as well they um, you know they weren't together anymore but they I, I felt like they really cared for each other um, what were you needing from the adults in your life that you couldn't get or didn't get hmm. if you even know sometimes it's hard we know what we didn't get but it's hard to know sometimes what we would have wanted or needed consistency my when I was living with him he was uh, struggling with his alcoholism and was very unpredictable. I worried. Um, he didn't, for example, like for, wouldn't pick me up from school events sometimes. And uh, when I was 18 and going off to college, I spent the whole summer terrified that he wouldn't remember to bring me to school um, mm. an hour and a half away. Uh, and he came through, but there was uh, just... You'd no. spent that whole summer worrying about yeah. something that many teenagers in a similar situation would not have had to worry about. Yeah, and there just wasn't stability. Things were chaotic mm-hmm. when really I needed comfort. All the things that we hear from the teens, too. We need stability, reassurance, predictability, yeah. flexibility, but also knowing that there's a firm foundation of yeah. someone has it covered mm-hmm. for you in the uh, midst of that. Yeah, and I was able to find... Uh, Two families in particular that when I was in high school, my best friend from high school, I'm still uh, part of her family, um, and they were really wonderful, and they helped me, uh, as well as my, one of my mom's closest friends, both helped me through the process of separating from my father, and are still my family today, and that's, those are the people that I call my family. So you so were I, able to cultivate that I was, type of relationship. I was, uh, but I really wanted it. Uh, at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has that experience shaped who you are as an adult? That might be a really big question. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of how you connect with people, what you value, how you see yourself. Oh, well, hmm. I still uh, very much am searching for that support. And when friendships or romantic relationships struggle, it, it's very scary to me to lose, um, to have the threat of someone, losing someone who has become family to me. I remember when uh, a romantic relationship I had had that was all in all, and especially in hindsight, really awful, it was with an alcoholic, um, was close to coming to an end, uh, feeling like I didn't want to be in that relationship, but I, I couldn't let go of it because it felt like it was going to be another death, that I was going to lose someone who I was close to and who um, was kind of like family. Like losing your world all over again yeah. since you've already lost it once with your mom and then again with your dad. Yeah, totally. Is there um, anything that you hear when you're, because you volunteer with teens here, yeah. are there things that being part of the group has been helpful for you in your process? I think I get more out of uh, folks who are closer to peer being peers with me than the teens themselves. So I do love working with teens and it feels really important to me to share sort of both experiences with my mom and with my dad with them in that like the whole, there's a whole spectrum of reactions that one can have to the death of somebody who's close to them, or not close to them, but significant to them. Everybody grieves differently and, yeah, just experiences a, a death or a, a loss 
but you have different reactions and they're all okay. Um, and though I, I imagine that people might look at folks who don't have the stereotypical grief reaction, strangely, I don't remember ever feeling bad about the, the reaction that I had and I want to be able to share confidence, for lack of a better word, with all the other, everybody else, that it's okay. That if your grief doesn't fit within this mold that you might be um, having other people put upon you, it's okay. Because yeah. here I'm somebody whose my grief has been very different, even in the both of the grief experiences I've had. Yeah, yeah. But that's how I came to the Dougie Center, really, was I had worked in environmental ed and experiential ed and had a few students a few different times who had recently had um, parental deaths and they, because I, I talk about um, the deaths of my parents and knew that that is something we had in common and uh, wanted to talk to me about it. Nothing particularly even deep, just wanted to know that there was somebody who shared their experience in some way um, and it felt so powerful to me. To provide that and to yeah. have that commonality. Yeah, and just be there. I came to Ducky Center originally wanting to like learn more skills so I could talk to them even better. Um, but that's not... It occurs to me that I did just fine, that they just wanted to share the... like have a common experience with someone. And uh, I imagine see that uh, I've survived it and mm -hmm. that they can survive it too. Yeah, which is like the perfect example of peer support of what yeah. we're offering. And yeah. most people come to Dougie Center wanting to learn how to do it more and do it better. And we teach them how to do less, which is okay, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how to not talk and how to just listen. And like you said, just to be there for people yeah. and their story. And that's not to say I really, I do really get a lot out of um, sharing common experience with peers. Uh, I remember my Dougie Center training with you. Um, and just feeling so um, at peace, I suppose, with all the folks. And, you know, the folks in our training group were all sorts of different ages and had all sorts of different experiences, but it was the first time in a long time that I'd been around a group of people who had that commonality, uh, and it felt like such great support to hear other stories and know that they survived, too. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it seems like whenever there's something that's so vital to who we are, like a large part of our, our life and has shaped us and formed us in some way. And if we sit in a room with people who on some level can understand that and that it's okay to talk about things that in other situations may not be as readily accepted, there's a lot of, I know for me at least, a lot of just like a big sigh of relief, like, oh, I can talk about these things that scare off a lot of other people. Yeah. And while, yeah, it seems odd because I don't wish anyone to have hard experiences, but when, I sh when other people have similar difficult experiences to me, it makes me feel less alone, um, and that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Just to have that community of yeah. understanding. Yeah, yeah, and then other people struggle, and other people survive. And, and even though we all do it differently, which it sounds like has been a really um, healing part in your grief is to recognize that it's okay to have those different reactions and responses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Diana. Is there any last bit you'd like to share with us before we close out? Um, I just, I think what I said before that all, any reaction, all of the reactions that one has, uh, 
to a death are all okay. And just keep that in mind. And you'll have like all different reactions. I have now um, the part of my dad that I love, the part of my dad that really still hurts. I have all of those things. Um, and maybe sometimes one will be stronger than the other, but they're all okay to have. You're making space for all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No small task. No. <laughs> but important one. <laughs> Well, thanks again for being here, and thanks to all of you who are listening. As we mentioned at the beginning, this is the third in our three-part series, so if you'd like to hear the other two, those are episodes 24 and 25. Today's episode is 26. Um, If you'd like to learn more about the Dougie Center or um, share with us your thoughts or questions or topics that you'd like us to talk about, you can find us at www.dougy.org. That's where you can find all our past episodes. We're also on iTunes, so you can listen there and feel free to give us a rating um, and maybe a review would be great too. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter if you want to just be a part of what the Dougie Center is doing. So thanks again for listening and uh, tune in next time for our next episode of the Dear Dougie podcast. Thanks for listening.